Hi everyone, Lockie Mansell here. Welcome to part two of our Checkered Flag chat with Matt Baraguana. In this episode, Matt opens up about the challenges he faced upon diving into the circuit manager role at Wakefield Park and gives us a sticky beak at what goes on behind the scenes at the Australian Grand Prix Corporation. We also talk about some of the plans in the pipeline for the AMRS. As one door closes, another door opens, and while you might no longer have had the opportunity to work at Sandown, you actually spent a bit of time out of motorsport, didn't you, working for, I think it was a fire services company? Yeah, so, and again, with my background in, in emergency management, um, you know, when you're looking for opportunities, when, when I sort of smelt that the Sandown um, thing was coming to a close, yeah, and sort of think what what else is out there and um a friend of the family's uh ran a um a fire training business you know going going to businesses and doing fire training extinguisher training or warden training and things like that and and so you know emergency management and, and fire brigade in particular is um there's always been a keen interest of mine from in a, in a voluntary capacity and um it was you know it was an opportunity at the time when things were going bad at sandown um that well look you know um at least you know i've got something to 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 go to and then when when the sort of the um when the door was closed at at sandown i was like yeah well say la you i can hold my head high that uh that uh, I've achieved a lot and, and um, got happy customers there and, and uh, the place is better off having have me there and, and, and um, you know, made, made some, some good contacts and, and some good friends, uh, which are still friends to this day. Um, so, yeah, we got into the fire training thing and, and, and did that for, for a while and had some fun doing that. And, you know, again, it was something I could pick up very quickly and very easily because of my background with, with, with CFA. And yeah, able to and I was you know hired to go into businesses and do warden training or do extinguisher hot hot fire um, extinguisher training um, and um, you know I was, I was I was hired out to to go and do that and um, yeah I was literally all over Melbourne at different places doing um, some of that compliancy training and things like that so um, yeah it, it unfortunately as the old saying goes you never go into business with friends or family and um it's not that i was in, in the into the business financially but it was just one of those sort of things i think that um was good in the start because there was plenty of work on but then as work was slowing down a little you know th- th- things you know, questions start getting asked about you know how much you're getting paid versus how much you're bringing in and you know all that sort of standard sort of stuff and and then um Again, as to pick up your point from earlier, Lucky, one door closes, now the door opens. Um, by absolute chance, um, the Wakefield opportunity came along. Yeah, and that's what we move on to next. So, October 2015, in a time of quite dramatic restructure uh, within the Benal Rojo Club group, up comes the operations manager role, or it was actually the venue manager role, at Wakefield Park. And uh, this was obviously the period where you and I worked quite closely together. In fact, you were my, my direct uh, person that I reported to. You were my boss for a period of, um, would have been around 18 months altogether. But uh, interestingly enough, as I recall, you'd actually been having some preliminary discussions with the BAC um, even before you joined Wakefield Park about some potential opportunities at Winton. 
Oh, goodness me, Lockie. You you, uh, you have been doing your research, my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, and, and it was one of those sort of things, both, both um, and being very sort of upfront about it, um, BAC in general was going through quite a, quite a tumultuous time um, at, at that particular period in time. There was um, the, the late, the late uh, Mick Ronk had, had passed and there was a lot of um, history and a lot of, um, you know, things, you know, the old saying of, of, you know, this is how we've always done things type, type thing. A lot of history uh, that, that, that was continuing on at the venue. Now, both venues for, for that matter, but particularly at Winton, um, they'd had a change um, in management there, and uh, and they had a had a CEO there whom had been appointed. Um, and so yeah, so he he and I were in some discussions about what a role looks like uh, at, at Winton and um, and how we could make it work and and what the role would entail and 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 um, all those type of things. Um, and there was, uh, and then by uh, chance, the because um, Wayne Williams was working there as, as I think as an events person or something at the time, and then and then um, there was a you know without getting too deep into the politics of it, but there was a there was a kerfuffle around while while the, the discussions were going on between myself and the then the then CEO. Um, uh, there was a kerfuffle around the CEO's position there, and and he was exited, and so obviously all the that was Brian Pearson, wasn't it? it so it that was, would have been it was. that yeah. would have been early twenty fifteen. Early, correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so uh, my discussions with him were around the the mid part of two thousand and fifteen, and we nearly had something over the line as far as to make something work for a role at Winton. Um, and um, yeah, obviously when 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 he got exited, all all, all that went by the wayside basically. But uh, yeah, it was um, and it was looking. There was a lot, a lot of change up there. A lot of change in staff. A lot of people um, weren't happy to work there. Other people were very happy to work there. Um, it, it was, it was, it was a challenging time. Very challenging time for the venue, and um, um, both, both uh, Matthew and Adam Ronk uh, obviously were the legacy of of um, living on through their father. They were very keen to keep that going. Um, and with the greatest respect to them both, um, you know, uh, Mick did a lot for BAC over many, many years. And, um, you know, the place was run in a certain way for a lot of years. And um, but that doesn't necessarily mean um, in today's age of, of corporate viability, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the correct way to move forward for forever in a day. So you're always going to have that, you know, lock of heads of, of no, I want to go things this way and other people wanted to go in a different direction. So, um yeah, so uh, jump forward a little bit, and and yes, then the the role at um, Wakefield came on, and um, came on board, and, and again there was a there was a very extensive uh, application process for that, and some some good uh, constructive discussions with um, members of um, both BAC committee and um, and uh, staff members at, at at Winton, and sort of see how how it would work. Um, obviously I had to have explained to me pretty thoroughly around what, what are the immediate challenges up there? Um, and, and there was plenty. Um, so yeah, it, it was just get a very clear understanding of what I was walking into on day one. And, um, so yeah, got appointed to the role and, um, my, my memories of that period, because obviously I was very much of the coal face still working full time at the venue at that stage was that because you'd had so much change, particularly at the BAC committee level, where there were a number of long-standing committee members who had been uh, exited or voted out or otherwise resigned, 
some new blood coming onto the committee, uh, a desire for some quite significant changes in the way that things were managed across both the Winton and the Wakefield Park venues, and a desire for a lot of those changes to be implemented within a very short space of time. And you were the person who was put in place to achieve a lot of those uh, changes. So from your memories, what were some of the main challenges that you had to face when you first started working at Wakefield Park? Yeah, um, and I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head there, Lockie. I mean, if without trying to sound too, I don't want to come across sounding too arrogant, but I mean, it, it, you, you, you sort of knew that change had to happen. And, you know, whether I was appointed as the change agent, then then maybe I was. Um, but, but you know, you, you couldn't go on the way it was long term and and the venue had to have significant change. And, and you're quite right. There was some new blood on the committee, which thankfully, and I'll say very thankfully, because it would be very different if, had, if the different people had had their way, um, had the hindsight to uh, sorry had the foresight i should say to say yeah you know what we could make change here with the right people in the right role um you know everything down to financial reporting to to you know that the place is is a is a revenue earner if it's run the right way um and um and that's what uh, essentially what what some of the concerns that were raised so um as far as immediate um challenges um probably the first and foremost one was well i would be upfront saying was council um, there unfortunately had been um, some incidences both with um, a lot of noise coming from the venue and, and the, the permit at Wakefield is, is very old and, and very out excuse me and very very outdated when it comes to today's age of motorsport but, but putting that aside um, some of the local residents there there'd been some events run which were very very noisy things like burnout comps and stuff like that which complaints had been made uh, to council about and you might think well geez you know, Wakefield's the back end of, it's in Braywood Road in, in you know Taranaville it's it's the you couldn't get much more regional than where it sits but there is there is local farms which have been there for many many years and a lot you know particularly some of the families in those local farms are second or third generation they've been there for that they've been there for that long um, and they weren't being listened to and that, and that's the, and the, their frustration around not being listened to obviously led them to go to council about it, and then and then council then unfortunately also weren't being listened to um, by uh, by venue management there at the time, and um, so not long very just before I started, just by absolute chance, like only probably about three or four weeks before I started. You know, um, then acting manager, which was Wayne, uh, who was running both Winton and Wakefield at the time. Um, uh, arrived there one day to to meet the council who were going to put a chain on the front gate and say, you're not operating any further until we get some conformity out of your venue. Like it was that serious and it was that much of a problem. It was, it was that, that, that serious a legal matter that, that we could have faced having the venue closed indefinitely uh, unless we'd come up with some very, very stringent measures around um, uh, conformity to the permit and, you know, working with the residents and not against the residents. So, um, yes, I guess if there was a key challenge, literally from day one, and I mean literally from day one, and Lockie, you, you were there, you, you, would, you would remember this, is, is that, you know, meeting some of the local residents and particularly meeting council, and I met council before I met the residents, um, and the, the relationship with council on the very early days was very prickly, very prickly. It was, it was 
you know, they had to get to know me, I had to get to know them. Um, and, you know, I, I was the new kid on the block and, and in, in some sense and, and um, they had had a gutful and quite rightfully so, to be fair, they, they weren't listened to. I mean, in today's corporate world, they can, people have the right to complain, council has the right to, to, to uh, has the right to, um, you know, write, write you a formal letter. But I mean, if you're not responded to and if you're ignored, you know, it's only going to go one way. And, and unfortunately, I think that's, that's what's happened to you. And um, yeah, so look, it was a very prickly um, start, particularly from that side of things. And as I say, look, you, you would remember you were in the office at the time, some of those sort of heart to heart discussions we were trying to have with them. And, and um, you know, uh, particularly in the early stages, we were meeting with them weekly uh, to, you know, ensure our conformity and, and for us to run through any complaints that they'd had and, and, and all those type of things. And so things got better they, they, and they acknowledged that, that, that from literally from the media time that I started got better. There was far more open and transparent dealings with them as far as what we were running. Um, we committed to ceasing uh, things like drifting and, and ceasing things like uh, burnout comps and all those type of things, which are obviously um, quite noisy and, and can um, attract, um, uh, you know, larger sort of can, and can socioeconomically can can be um, some some not nice crowds if, if it's, it's bad English, but but it's it's a uh, um, and that was a rather concern about some of those sort of type of people and you know not my words it's theirs uh, that 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 was attracting. So we just had to sort of do a big clean up in that regard. Um, yeah, so that was uh, that was probably the number one priority. If I had to give a, pro- a priority, which was absolute top of the list, that was that, and to manage that, and just make sure that that um, you know we had a business to still run with, and and to make sure that we were conforming legally, um, morally, and that we were we were an open ear within a, within reason. I'm happy to take your complaints in writing and things like that, but it doesn't mean that we're going to react. It just means that happy to 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 deal in, and have a, have an open discussion with you. Um, there were some issues around staffing and stuff up there as well. Um, so, you know, if, if you talk what was the top of the priority tree, there was some staff there which, which um, rightly or wrongly had been probably been, had been let get away with things where they shouldn't have been. Um, there was some very long-term staff there, which I think got way too comfortable in their, uh, in their position. Um, and look, you know, and part, part of your review when you walk in the door to any business, doesn't matter if I walk in the door to Wakefield or walk in the door to, a, to some other business that I was going to run, you're doing a review on, on how the business runs and who runs it and what their roles are and, and, and uh, what hours they work and, and all those type of things. So part of that process identified that, that there was some, some um, staff there which uh, I, I don't think sh- should have been there for as long as they had. And so we... Um, we made some decisions around that. Um, uh, thankfully, and I, and I will be very open and say that thankfully, um, not long after I started, about six weeks after I started, um, Chris Lewis Williams, our CEO, started as well within with, the, with BAC, and and thankfully, Chris had had a lot of history with BAC in a voluntary capacity, um, being on committee and, and seeing a lot of this stuff unfold and and knew a lot of the challenges that that, that we faced at Wakefield. And so together we we sat down and spent a lot of time together on on um, a hell of a lot of time together on on restructuring what and identifying our immediate strategies, identifying our long term strategies, um, and and how we can achieve it, what it's going to cost, um, what 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 the urgent things are within the venue we need to fix, um, and I guess if if you know d- detailing back to some priority stuff with you know I've, I've talked about. Um, 
talked about council, I've talked about staffing, and probably the next thing is what immediate maintenance issues were, were staring us in the face that were, number one, a safety issue or a danger, uh, and or number two, were cosmetically, we just made the venue look terrible. So, and there was some, there was some immediate, you know, maintenance stuff, which you just had to spend money on, you know, and there was some chunky money too, but, you know, there was some media stuff you just had to do. Um, you know, um, track edges is, is, an, is another key thing as well. So, yeah, so um, look, you know, we, we there was, you know, as you would recall, recall Lockie, there was the, the first few weeks in the role there, even for that number, the first few months in the role there were, were a challenge and you, you literally had to, you know, to say the words, you had to unpick a lot of things. It's, it's probably using using a term very lightly. You had to really decipher who was, who was in it for themselves, who was in it for the good of the venue and for the good of BAC. Um, and that's both, for that matter, it's both customers and staff uh, and um, across the board and then key stakeholders as well. So, hmm. I think looking back to that period, late 2015, early 2016, you don't really get the credit that you deserve for a lot of what you achieved through that period because it was a very difficult period. You had to make some very tough decisions and identifying things that need to be changed or improved is one thing, but then getting your team of staff firstly, but also your customers on board and trying to convince them that the avenue that you're going down is the right pathway, that's another challenge in itself. And I think that that period was a big culture shock for a lot of people, both inside and outside the business, who are used to it being run a certain way, and all of a sudden having these massive changes thrust upon them. Yeah, absolutely right. Like you, you've um, yeah, and, and and thanks, thanks for the comments around not not receiving the uh, the recognition you deserve. <laughs> but um, yeah, and and look, you know, rightly rolling, and, and I guess it's all in your approach. You know, um, hindsight is is that there were some things. Yes, that I, that I probably did go a bit hard at, um, as far as try, try, trying to fix things quickly and, and trying to and um, and, and trying to trying to make things work quicker than 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 what we're naturally going to progress. But and the same token too is that there was customers there which believed that they should get free track hire because um, that's what they've always got in the past, or they could have um, they could bring cash and put it over the counter, and and however many cars they had on track was what they paid for track hire. Um, so very quickly, and uh, you know, you know, I'd even say this in the first couple of months of the job, it was you know, sit down with um, you know, Robbie uh, Robbie Ryan, who's uh, who's still there today, um, and sort of say, um, you know, what what are the arrangements with this customer? What are the arrangements with that customer? Um, and again, deciphering and, and picking apart some of these deals, which were just not for the good of the venue. Um, you know, did I did I. Did I lose some friends? Did I did I make some enemies? Yeah, look, I probably did. Um, but you know what? The BAC has benefited out of that. And ultimately, number one, BAC, the one's paying the bill. But number two, the club is now, and I can absolutely hand on my heart, stand here, sit here and say today, the club is now in a far, far better position today, far better position today than what for, since, since um, making those changes 2015, 2016. Um, from management then to management to me, uh, and the changes that I made to make some of those um, prick relation those prick prickly sorry relationships um, go away, um, and just have some transparency around the dealings. Uh, you know, one of the biggest things that I've always learned in business is is that uh, business can always happen with transparent dealings and. 
you know, I'm not sitting here making allegations of, of, of non-transparent dealings, but, you know, when people were getting things for nothing because they do something else, you know, th those sort of dealings would stop and stopped immediately. And, and so, you know, people would, would come in and say, well, what, why can't I have that deal now? Well, my, that, that, that's not how we do things now. It's, um, it's the, the deal is, is that you're very welcome to come here. You can pay for an entry. You can pay for a garage and have a great day. Look forward to seeing you here at the venue anytime. But, but there's, there's none of this, you know, free this, free that. Um, uh, and so, you know, um, you had to unpick some of those relationships and, um, and that, that put a few people's back up because all of a sudden they weren't getting a free ride. But you know what? I'm okay with that because um, it means that that the BAC benefited by receiving proper income uh, for the venue to which they own, and um, it, ultimately that that's what had to happen. So let's talk about some of the happy memories from Wakefield Park, and in particular a couple of the events that you were instrumental in, which I was fortunate enough to work with you on as well. Number one that I want to talk about, the return of the ASBK, the Australian Superbike Championship, to Wakefield Park. I know that this was something that you pretty much orchestrated from the ground up because of the long-standing relationship that you'd had with Simon Mars through RaceSafe and Simon Mars and his involvement as the racing operations manager for the Australian Superbike Championship. And I think when you look, obviously 2016 was the first year of having the ASBK back at Wakefield Park. You look at how it's grown and prospered since then to the point where it is now uh, not only one of the biggest um, spectator-generating events for Wakefield Park, but actually one of the biggest spectator-generating events for the, the ASBK. And um, you can take responsibility for and hang your hat on a very large part of the legacy that that has now left behind. Yeah, uh, you're definitely right, Lucky. I mean, it's... Um... When you're looking at and, and you know one of the key things which which Chris uh, implemented towards the latter part of 2015 in, in the uh, to be implemented for 2016 is, is is structured budgeting both operational and capital, and you know the the, the BAC committee were, were excited to to have some have some number one have some transparent business dealings and know what they're earning and, and what they're not and all those sort of things, but also what the future holds from a from what new projects we can bring into the venue and what new events we can bring into the venue to to lift the status of the event into the motorsport community um so you know you, you look over history you know that the venue the venues held a um back in the days it was the conica i think it was the conica wasn't it lucky the conica v8 supercar series i think at the day which was the the today's day with today's age is that the dvs series the development series um it held that in the day um and um, the Superbike series used to run there, and um, and so it was it was just having a very open discussion uh, with with the Superbike guys, uh, and uh, but and Chris was also very instrumental in this as well, in in the sense of, you know, so why can't we have you back? Oh well, you know, we don't like the colour of your garages, and we don't like the colour of your padlocks, and 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 all those sort of things, and you know, you need to get down to the nitty gritty of what are the issues around the series returning. And then if there's if the issues are things that we can fix or we can spend money on or we can improve or we can, you know, paint or, or, or you know, commercially make it worth their while type thing, then, then you know, it, it's worth hosting. Um, if the issues are, are deeper than that, well, then, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a failed conversation. But, um, yeah, look, you know, very early in the piece, it was a discussion we had to have where there was a supplier 
at the venue at the time who was running a um, bike event, and again back back to uh, back to my my discussion from five minutes ago is that one of the key parts was you had to pick apart some arrangements there which had been put in place, and unfortunately there was an, an arrangement there in place with the then bike supplier, the then bike event supplier there that had him. Um, receiving a lot of commercial reward for running bike events at um, the venue, and uh, but it just wasn't commercially viable for the venue to keep going down that road. Um, it was very heavy. The commercial arrangement was very heavily weighted his way versus uh, versus towards the venue. So we got out of that venue very got out of the venue. Sorry, got out of that arrangement very early in the piece, um, and in doing that, freed us up to open the door to. Uh, ASBK, like, like you say, and and um, LCBA would have those discussions with, hey, let's have an event here, let's um, you know go in on a on a on a semi sort of you know partnership arrangement on it, to, let's promote it, let's get a crowd here, and um, you know you dearly love to see the venue, and what it might, what my number one goal was was dearly wanting to see the venue used to its maximum capacity. You know, you want all the spectator hills full of cars, full of people. You want the cafe with lines out the door. I love seeing that. You know, you want every every spare bit of dirt down at turn one and turn two um, where the spectator hill is there. You want all that full of people. Um, and this was, was an event and it was just by chance we they happened to be doing calendar planning and we're able to successfully um, get it get it on the radar. And um, we're able to to achieve that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, we had to do some improvements, and we had to pull our socks up, and 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 um, you know, make sure that that we could deliver a professional venue presented well. Uh, that at that level, and and whilst it's not MotoGP level, but it's it's you know, it's an Australian Championship. They travel around Australia, and and you've got some you know some high end riders that that follow the series. Um, they expect it and they expect a professionally delivered venue and a pre- particularly a professionally delivered circuit. Um, and uh, that's what we had to achieve. And I'm very proud to say that we, um, that we initiated that uh, and they still run there um, to this day. And um, there's a very healthy relationship between MA uh, being Motorcycle Australia um, and the ASBK team and both Winton and Wakefield, um, but particularly Wakefield. And, and you're right though. I mean, it really puts the venue on the map for the year because Whilst we don't have a DVS series that goes there, you know, there is some large-scale CAMS state meetings and things that go there when they run national championships and stuff there. But from a large-scale bike meeting, you've got very different crowds. Car and bike spectators are very different are very different types of um, crowds. And, you know, my memories of ASBK at Wakefield are, are very... Um, are very strong in the sense that you know you could you could stand at the gate at six o'clock in the morning and very proudly have half the road blocked off because there's cars trying to get in the gate, and you think ah beautiful all the, all this works all this work has been worth it because there's just that many people trying to get in the gate and you know we're trying to control it and put spectators up in the right area and put teams in the right area and doing things like that and you know very proudly um, had to have traffic management plans in place because uh, you know, the road out the front's 100 cars an hour and you didn't want your customers being hurt by a truck coming around the corner so you know it's a good problem to have but then you got then you got to have a traffic management plan out the front as well so like it, it's 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 those type of things and um and so yeah, very proudly had that on, have that um, reinitiated that, and and the venue um, made some improved, some committed improvements to the track, and some committed improvements to the facility um, that that and they will and they will will continue to. Um, but so uh, yeah, they, and and they love the round at Wakefield. It's it's that whole sort of regional New South Wales feel, and um, yeah. 
Another event, when we think about lines of spectators streaming out the gate and having to put in place traffic management plans and set up extra food stalls with external vendors and all of the other bits of infrastructure that you have to put in place when you have large crowds, another event springs to mind. And uh, this, is an event, this is an event that you pretty much created from the ground up. The all-historic race-making for cars and motorcycles, which was kicked off in 2016 ostensibly as an anniversary meeting for the very first all-historic race meeting, which was held back at Amaru Park in the late 1970s. So that was very much another event that you could hang your hat on and claim responsibility for, and something that was very successful for Wakefield Park as a venue. Yeah, most definitely. And and again, through my connections through the historic motorsports scene, um, there's a lot of, lot of yearn for particularly those guys that are in New South Wales um, that attended Amaru in the day and attended Amaru, um, all the historic meetings there, that, you know, with the closing of Amaru some years ago now, there's never been, there has never been an event, uh, what they call that the, the two plus four meetings uh, have essentially only really been at, say, um, the Winton Historics, um, which where they ride, you know, where they run early motorcycles and they run uh, early historic um, cars. So uh, they wanted an event in New South Wales that we can recreate the Amaru historics of the day. And, um, you know, I had many, many meetings about it and, and um, sort of, you know, because commercially we had to make it work. Um, and unfortunately, historic um, bike guys and historic car guys, you know, don't like to pay, you know, um, sizable entry fees and don't like to pay for garages and, and all those type of things. So we sort of had to, we had to make it work. And, um uh so yeah and i put the plan to, to chris at the time and said uh you know i remember we had a, had a new event to try and promote and, and to chris's credit he said well you know you, you've, you've got to give it a try matt you know um and, and and it's about us stretching our wings and not doing the same events year in year out and expecting to make more money out of them I mean, let's let's try something new and 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 see how it goes so um yeah and but you're right the first event particularly uh was a good good crowd a very good crowd and it's just that whole reenacting um the amaru historics of the day was was actually it was a lot of fun and everything down mm-hmm. to, to everything down to the officials wore um clothing from the era as well you know with that with the with the hats and the overalls and, and even i and might recall lucky even i wore some nice white nice crisp white overalls on the day um yep, yep. and um and, you know, we were able to, and again, through the historic connections, we were able to get our hands on some of the original posters from the, the, from the mid to late 70s, which they used to advertise the Amaru historics. So I got them, I gave them to the digital people up in, uh, in Goulburn and they recreated those posters and took the word Amaru out and put in Wakefield Park. And we changed the date, obviously, and literally used the exact same posters, um, and um, which was really, really well received. And uh, people, oh my god, I remember seeing that poster back in the day. So um, yeah, you know, and everything down to sort of things like that. So so yeah, it, and it was um, you know the the thing that you don't you don't realise, which comes of it, is that you know you allow time for these events to happen on the day, and because the, these old bikes, and for that matter, the old cars as well, but particularly the old bikes, are that cantankerous. Both the, both the riders and the bikes are that cantankerous, but particularly the bikes. And so, you know, if you allowed 20 minutes to get to get through a session of, of you know, three or four races of bikes type thing, it took 20 minutes to just to get them started half the time, let alone getting to, to get on the track to have a race. 
Um, and um, yeah, it was a lot, a lot of old guys uh, coming out of, out of out of woodwork. You know, guys that were riding bikes that were in their seventies or eighties. Uh, year, year old gentlemen that, that were coming on and, and getting their bikes out again to, to have a run and they weren't they weren't going to race hard they were just going to putt around but at least they had a go and and that was what we very much were, were, were promoting to uh to uh to for, for the event and um yeah proudly say that was it was a great success but and you know it was one of those sort of same things again you know the um the cafe with a line out the door um we did a we did a fantastic um you know um drinks and, and nibbles thing on the uh, on this on the saturday night of the event uh with a with a jazz band from the era as well and that 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 jazz band was was um was from the era that apparently that came there was at amaru a couple of the players of of the um of the the jazz band on that saturday night were at the amaru days can you believe so well, it was just yeah, everything everything from the day. So very happy to to have that event part of it, and I'm hoping that um, your Dean uh, continue, continues with it up there. So hmm. yeah, well, it is continuing for now, and I think uh, there are some plans to allow some newer cars and bikes to compete, mainly because the owners of some of the old ones, unfortunately, now are, are starting to pass away, and that's one of the generational challenges that you have with running those sorts of historic meetings. But definitely, that the ASBK. Um, a lot of the other events like the super trucks and some of the cabs events that we managed to get good crowds to uh, 24 hours of lemons which um, 2015 was actually one of your first events where you were um, when, when you first started working at Wakefield Park and then 2016 obviously we ran our own team in it as well we did yeah I think I was almost I think I was like a second week on the job I think I was second yep. second or third week on the job yep. with um with with lemons uh when we started there and um and you know there'd been some dealings with previous management and this kind of stuff before I get there and then, and then I started and then I said okay you're gonna need to give me a bit of a rundown of what this is all about and and I said you're gonna what you're gonna do what you're gonna do who How, how's this gonna work you're gonna what and um uh, yeah, it took a bit of, you know, having come from obviously the motorsport background that I had and it was either club level or it was circuit racing and then trying to get my head around how they actually did it and what, what the whole initiative was around it. Um, yeah, it was like, how's this going to work? But um, to, to their credit, um, Sean and his crew, uh, it was a great concept. And um, yeah, as you might recall, it was just that what, the one thing I would absolutely say about it, it was just so much fun to be part of. Some of the... You know, there is obviously that element when you're on a motor racing circuit that you've got to be safe and you've got to do things safely and, and you know, there is the danger inherent to, you know, bad driving and crashes and things like that. Um, but the stuff in the pits with um, the penalty systems, with making people get out of the car and run around the car, you know, or, or put Vegemite and Glad Wrap and put it, on their, put it on their head and then put the helmet back on and just silly, silly things. It was just a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, and, and Sean to this day, I mean, every now and then I have a chat with him and he, uh, and he, we, we, we uh, remember those early days and um, how much fun it was. But, uh, yeah. Certainly one of my memories was the 2016 event where, as mentioned, I, I ran my own team, which was very heavily supported by Wakefield Park, where it was myself and I had some uh, capable co-drivers with Emily Duggan, Dylan Thomas, Dave Stilwell and um, Brian Vanderwacker. But uh, waking up on the Sunday morning of that event and finding my Hyundai XL race car, which we worked so hard on, parked facing backwards on the main straight on the Sunday morning because someone had snuck into the garage overnight and decided to drive it onto the racetrack uh, 
Yeah, still haven't got to the bottom of that mystery. Yeah, I, and to this day, like here to this day, um, I've been asking and asking for the security footage of, of, of the garage and that kind of stuff for this day, but, but miraculously it's gone missing. So I don't know how that's happened at all. It was um, it was uh, a terrible, terrible incident, and to this day we, we don't know how it how it happened. But um, what I, what I can say is is that the aftermath of it was extremely funny. And um, I think I think if I recall, and you can say, I'll stand corrected here, Lockie, that was it that we made Dave steal will reverse your car because the car was facing wrong way on on the track. Correct. He had to reverse it for an entire lap to get it back to the pits. Cor- correct, because we wouldn't let him drive wrong direction down the main straight, just 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 to be more difficult about it, of course. Um, and then um, and so he had to reverse it all the way around the uh, the two point two kilometer circuit of, of Wakefield and into pit lane. And he did get a round of applause. I'll give him that much. We did get a round of applause when he, when he brought the car in. But, um, yeah, and again, it's da- it's down to, to, to that much, having that much fun for it. And um, you, you you were silly enough not to lock your garage that night. Uh, and you were also silly enough to leave the keys in the car. So um, from what I hear, the, the people involved, yeah, they, they, they took advantage of that. So, um, yeah, so, um, but, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So fun times. One of the things that we need to not overlook here is that the entire time that you worked at Wakefield Park, your family, so your lovely wife, Rachel, your son, Mason, who was born midway through 2016, was still down in Melbourne, and you were commuting backwards and forwards between Melbourne and Goulburn. And uh, in the end, that ultimately just probably became a bit too much, didn't it? And uh, hence the reason that you decided to move on from Wakefield Park in August 2018. Yeah, um, and look, as, as, as far as the um, as far as how, how it all unfolded, and, and, you, and you, you're quite right there, when I started in October, um, uh, was it, yeah, October 2015, by absolute chance, um, you know, um, by in November 2015, Rachel fell pregnant with 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 our with our first child, and as much as you're obviously very happy to uh, be able to um, uh, have you know have your wife pregnant and your, your first child on the way and all you know those kind of things, you just sort of I sat back in my chair uh, after it, it all the all the the bright and sparkle of Rachel being pregnant, and I was like, uh, how on earth am I going to manage this? But uh, Anyway, um, I did, and um, yeah, look, it, it, it was it was a challenge, and, and you know, to be to be fair to Rachel, um, you know, the, the particularly the early the early parts of um, Mason being born in July sixteen, um, yeah, I wasn't around much for, um, but we we just tried to tried to work with it as best we can. Um, they they used to come up and visit me. I think at what three months old, I think Mason was on his first flight from Melbourne to Canberra. Uh, and, um, yeah, I was, what I was trying to do was commit, um, a couple of weeks at a time, uh, with them coming up in the middle and then, um, uh, you know, still being able to work and then obviously, um, them staying with me up there and then, and then we all return home together. Um, but, um, yeah, and, and look, yeah, you're quite right. I think probably come to the early part of 2018, um, you know, you sort of get to the stage as I sort of surmised before is that you get to the stage where I think that you, you've achieved a lot a hell of a lot in 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 the period that i had um made a lot of change um and i I think i was sort of sort of at that crossroads that i either need to either needed to commit to moving up there full-time with family 
um, which had its other challenges around it because, again, we had, we had a young child and there was obviously a lot of family support locally in Melbourne around, um, uh, you know, around support of, of Rachel and, and, and our child. Uh, uh, or, um, yeah, un, un, unfortunately, you know, find, find something which, which was closer to Melbourne. And, um, yeah, the, the, the latter uh, is what ultimately – and it was, I've got to say, if there, if there was ever a decision made which was a tough decision from a career move, it was that one. It just – if you could have picked up the role and um, and and made the role, uh, you know, half an hour, an hour from from Melbourne, then I'd still be in it today. Absolutely, would still be in it today. I loved working there. I love working with the team up there. I love working in the exec with the executive of BAC with Chris and, and the and the other management team. Um, so you know, it, it, it was a role which honestly you could you could be in for for many many years. Uh, but um, it was just you know a, a lot of pressure on the family as far as um, uh, and that sort of came to a head a bit sort of early when was it early sort of two thousand eighteen early to, we sort of got through ASBK in in the March and. Um, if I recall, and then sort of was not long after that that um, well, long after that that we had to sort of start making some making some decisions around um, around what we um, uh, what what the future held, and and you know, and I started having some discussions, some some very sort of hard hard discussions with Chris at the time, and and to to his credit, he was he was supportive, and he said, you know, obviously we don't want you to go. Uh, we 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 you know very much we 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 we're really kicking goals now. Um, but he he obviously respected the fact that that I had a young family, and um, yeah, very very tough decision, very tough decision. Um, but what was absolutely paramount to that decision, and and what, which which was non-negotiable from from my side, and I and I reiterated this to Chris, and I remember that I remember like it was yesterday this discussion that I had is that. If I need to leave, I cannot leave here without knowing that the place is going to be in good hands with a new manager. And so it's not about, Chris, I'm leaving tomorrow. It's about, I think we need to agree that I need to move on. Um, but you guys go to market, do all your recruitment, recruitment process. And let's face it, finding a quality recruitment process, is, is finding a quality candidate isn't a, isn't a two-week exercise. It's more like a two-month exercise. Um, and um, do your interviewing, you know, make make your final choices, get them appointed, and then I can even do a, a try and do a handover with them as well. And and that's what we agreed to. So you can't then go and unstitch if if I just flown the coop and they'd had no manager there, um, you know, driving the buses so, so to speak for um, for a period of time. You'd just be too fearful that all that good work you'd done had had would get unstuck. So that's what I did, and you know, and leaving on my terms, and um, and leaving on 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 very good terms in the sense with BAC holding my head high that I know for in my heart that I'd made a difference there. Know in my heart, the place is without trying to sound again like I'm you know um, too arrogant about the whole situation. Is that I know the place is in a far better position today than what it was pre two thousand and October two thousand and fifteen. Um, and, um, uh, yeah, look, the, the, fa the family pressures of early 2019 were, were sort of coming to a head a bit. So, yeah. And then, um, which led us to them, them recruiting and they, um, they got to, the, they found Dean and, and Dean started, we did a, we did a sort of a two week handover and, um, and, um, I, um, sort of moved, moved on slowly from there. Um, and, and, um, got home and look, it took me, it took me a little while to, to, 
you know, be back in Melbourne and just sort of think, oh my God, like, you know, have I done the right thing? You know, it was a job I really loved. It was a, it was a management team I really loved to work with. And, and yes, it had its challenges, but, but nothing that you couldn't manage. It was, it was stuff that you could, you could deal with and, 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 you know, and, and make, make decisions on and, and, and the autonomy, which both Chris and for that matter, um, BAC offer you, uh, you know, and to, to to use one of Chris's analogies, you know, it, it, it's it's your train set. You you drive the train as as you see as you see fit, and so you're not micromanaged at all. And it was one of those things that you know that it was your work and your thought processes and your, um, you know, your, your know how that has made the venue go in that certain direction. So, yeah, tough tough decision, really tough decision, um, but. Yeah, unfortunately for the good of my my wife and young family, it had to be made. Um, But, um, yeah. As things would turn out, leaving on good terms ended up working to your advantage later on, which we'll get to soon. But before we do, the next role that you had after that, still in motorsport, but in what must have been a very, very different sort of environment, working for the Grand Prix Corporation and overseeing all of the on-track activity at both the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix and the Australian Formula One Grand Prix. How much of a contrast was it stepping into that role after being in the friendly club sort of environment of Wakefield Park? Yeah, very much very much of a learning curve for me, Lockie. Um, I'll absolutely go on record saying from from the from the outset that that so um, Australian Grand Prix Corporation um, you know very much governed by government and budgets and and obviously they they are uh, they're part of the Victorian public sector so you you had to change your way of thinking you had to change your way of um, reacting or acting and 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 how you manage things and handle things. Um, you know, I, I was appointed there. They they had a motorsport team there that had been there for way too long, quite frankly, way too long. And um, they had some challenges. And again, Mr. Fix-It Man had to go in there and fix. Um, so I was uh, I was on a contract to go in there uh, to to go in and fix and in, in the particular in the lead up. So because that was in the August, as you quite rightly say, and then had to hit the ground running in preparation for MotoGP 2018. And so there was a lot to learn and a lot to learn quickly, um, particularly around how Dorna works and which are the uh, international promoters of MotoGP. Um, there was a bit of a language barrier, uh, particularly when they were the lead up to Moto, because there's a lot of um, uh, Spanish-speaking people with Moto, uh, with through Dorna, and uh, my Spanish is no, not so good. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so um, yeah, so it was challenging, and you know, you, you had to sort of go from from being being the boss and being in charge, and and what your decision was was what stuck type thing um, to. You know, being a lot more um, is what one of the how can you say what one of the Indians, so, so to speak. Um, still with a still with a, a, a management title, but very much a, um, don't make a decision without us forming a committee about it and and um, seeing that everyone likes it first. Then you can make the decision type thing, which from a management perspective wasn't necessarily the way I had done things in the past. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that was a challenge, um, you know. So, so dealing with some of the staff and, and and me starting there was an adverse reaction to 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 particularly you know uh, a person who'd been in the role in the motorsport team for a long time and believed that they deserved my role. So, so that was that was a challenge, very much a challenge from day one. 
So, yeah, it wasn't all that welcoming, I've got to say. Um, yeah, uh, and then at the same token, like, like I say, getting getting cracking with um, dealing with MotoGP. So the, my responsibility in MotoGP was anything and everything that was on track, and um, which was everything from both support categories, which was some of our ASBK guys uh, to, and to super sport guys, uh, to um, then obviously the main game being MotoGP uh, and Moto2 and Moto3. So, yeah, um, uh, so making all that on track, obviously things like um, the, the, the commercial arrangements with um, BMW being the, the vehicle suppliers, uh, there was a lot to do with that. Um, you know, there was, there was, uh, there was a, lot, a lot of finicky sort of stuff in the background that, that sort of had to be managed um, and a lot, a lot of stuff uh, which um, you needed to do a, a plan for and the plan had to go through, you know, three or four levels of, um, three or four levels of, of approval before you, could, um, before you could even think about trying to implement it as an example and, and just things like that, which, which, which was a challenge. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, but what, what I will say though from a career perspective, being involved in an event of that stature um, and is at as as high level as what I was, it was a good. It was it was good. It was a good learning curve. It was uh, fantastic to be involved in delivering a world class motorsport event at that level, at international level. Um, and it was you know we had some challenges through the event with rain on the Friday, and we had to have some massive schedule changes and dealing with the multiple stakeholders. You know when you're sitting in a boardroom of probably 18 to 20 people where everyone had to have input as to why we couldn't couldn't make a um a schedule change uh, uh you know in a certain way you know and all kinds of it was just like oh. it was, yeah it was uh, it was it, it was it was an education i've got to say so mm. did you have much involvement obviously included both the motorcycle and the formula one did you end up having much involvement in the Formula One Grand Prix of 2019? Yeah, I did. Um, I, 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 quite quite a, a hell of a lot to do with it in the lead up to, because um, basically, this, as soon as soon as Moto's finished, um, you literally you, you pack up you pack up everything and goes into storage, and you, you like within oh, I could honestly say within three weeks after Moto, you've switched off. Um, you've, you've, you've done, you've done some emails or something to that effect to, 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 to finalize some things and, and make sure that you've done a bit of a P and L on, on where we sit. Uh, and then you literally hit the ground running for, for F1. Um, and I will say also the, the F1 organizing committee starts meeting from, uh, we started meeting from the May, um, of 2018 in the lead up to the event for March, 2019. So you've got, um, monthly, organizing and planning meetings for f1 whilst you're in the final stages of lead up to moto and then get moto done and dusted and then you're literally very head down bum up for um head down bum up for, for f1 so it's also it's all going on in parallel in the background uh, but um obviously the the efforts for f1 uh, were light from sort of may through to october um, I say light, but they, but they weren't as heavy as what they were in the lead up, you know, in the final months. Um, but then, yeah, as soon as Moto's done and dusted, you are literally nothing but breathing F1. And um, yeah, so um, into F1, we mode was, you know, support categories was my domain. Um, the agreements around those, um, you know, how, how much how much money people are paying, the, the commercial responsibilities, the sponsorship responsibilities um, of, of those support categories. Um, versus the sponsorship arrangements with F1, is there is there a you know like you can't have um, you know Shell 
as the as the sponsor for a category if bp were a naming rights sponsor for f1 as an example like just all those sort of you know um challenges which you've got to try and just sort of manage along the way but um yeah it, it was um it, it was particular i think probably the last month or so that that was intense that was really intense um but um yeah uh and and uh there's there's a lot of moving parts a lot of moving parts and you know a lot of safety matters and things like that um parks victoria um uh whom obviously you run the land down there at albert park um you, you, you're dealing with them reasonably heavily in where we're trying to put marquees or not and, and all those sort of things and yeah like it, it's it, it everything's everything there was nothing that was simple it's probably the easiest way to say nothing that was simple um and everything everything you know you have to have a meeting about or you know be, be called into a conference call about or something to that to that effect so yeah is that why you ultimately ended up parting ways with the Grand Prix Corporation because it just got too difficult trying to manage all of the bureaucracy? Ah, uh, look, ultimately, what led to me parting ways with Grand Prix is is that again I was on a contract and my contract wasn't renewed. So that's if you want to go back to the to what was the full stop around it. That that was my, my, my was advised. My contract wasn't renewed. Um, but I've got to be honest, I, it, it was like a load off my shoulders. It was um, as much as you know there'd be many, many people in motorsport that I know that would give their left arm to have a role at Grand Prix Corporation. If I had to give some advice, I'd say don't. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, but, but like you, you get you get through the glitz and the glamour in the first week of working there and, oh, it's Grand Prix and there's some nice, you know, flashy cars in reception and some flashy bikes in reception and isn't it great to come to work every day to, to look at this? But, you know, I'll use words like, you know, toxic um very governmentized um it's it's a challenge um to to work in in sometimes you know so so it's a challenge to work in a place where there is that red tape in bureaucracy outside going to the bathroom or going to the kitchen every single thing you do had to be planned for, for, for you know uh, a 15 pages long had to be approved by four different levels of management uh, and then um, and then and then you know given to as an example either f1 uh, management or to Dorna for their say so and then it could all be canceled and it could all be stopped anyway and they, they're not happy with it so like it's just yeah a lot of challenge around trying to do your job and do your job properly um, a lot of frustration um, there is a lot of people there which have been in the uh, particularly GM level at, at Grand Prix, which have been there for way, way too long, way too long. And um, this is how we've always done it. So this is how it's, it should be. And so you try and be use some initiative and come up with some, you know, some new strategies around, oh, I think we could do this. It'd be a great crowd puller. What do you think? Um, oh, no, 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 we don't do it that way. We do it this way. This is how we should do it moving forward. So yeah, well, why don't we try this? You know, um, things like even the car club display at Albert Park. That was that was um, you know that was sort of uh, they started doing that, and then I picked up with that and um, and drove that heavily. Uh, pardon the pun, but sort of drove that heavily um, for 2019 as well. To because you're trying to fill some space around the venue. You've got lots and lots of land, um, and there's some car clubs that want to come and put on displays. But then there's a the whole politics around, or who gets the better spaces and who doesn't, and all those type of things. And just uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. But um, yeah, I, and I've got to say, it was, it was like, yeah, 
without putting too fine a point to it, it was like a load off my shoulders to uh, to not have the contract renewed because it was just it wasn't a long term thing. It wasn't long term. So mm. at least it was a valuable learning experience for you. And definitely, definitely was. That, and, and that now leads us obviously to where we are now, which is that you're back in the Benalla Auto Club fold as the series manager for the Australian Motor Racing Series, the AMRS. So obviously you only came on board late last year. It was for the final few rounds of last year's season at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, Wakefield Park and Winton. And uh, it's a shame, isn't it, Matt, that uh, some of the promising momentum that we've kicked off with for the 2020 season has been checked up by this COVID-19 situation and the fact that we've had to postpone at least a couple of our events for this year. Oh, yeah, and, and look, like you, 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 it's so frustrating, so frustrating. If I, could, if I could sit here and tell you the amount of times I sat here shaking my head about all this and, and uh, you're trying, to, trying to figure out a way, a way around things, but there's just no way around things. Um, you know, when... Um, uh, BAC had some ch- challenges with some sort of the, the management at the time with AMRS sort of mid to later part of last year um, again because I because I had had proven uh, relationship with BAC um, and proven that that I knew what I was doing and proven that that my heart was in the right place with with making sure the BAC was looked after. Um, Chris reached out and um, and uh, yeah, we we had some good healthy discussion about what BAC committee want to see from from the series and some good healthy discussion what Chris would like to see and and we and I, and I was reasonably confident that, that we could make that work so um, yeah happy very happy to be back on board um, uh, when was it? I think it was August to September I think um, I started uh, back with the series which we had um, Sydney Motorsport Park right in front of us and. Um, Prue Payne, who's based out of Winton, um, she's absolute gun. We're from a gun administrator, and and um, yeah, very much uh, uh, was the the driver in 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 the um, in the interim period of not having a, a, a direct sort of series manager um, to to me starting and sort of held it all together, thankfully. And then um, Prue and I had some very lengthy discussions about um, you know what's happened in the past and what we need to do in the future and and what the customers are like and, and things like that and and away we went. So um, we delivered Sydney Motorsport Park um, and with that that was quite successful. Uh, we then went to Wakefield and um, and delivered there and it was good good to be back at Wakefield and see, see the team there and and, and um, have a have a national series event at the venue again. Uh, and then um, finished the series at Winton in November, and um, and again, you know, another success, successful event. Um, but you know, the the key was to get through and deliver the last three events for the series, and um, before you you want to start making change. And I mean, you know, me being me, you you pick up from day one. Oh yeah, we could do that better. Oh yeah, no, let's not do that, or or whatever it may be. But you know, you, you don't go sort of starting tipping things on its head halfway through the series. Um, so in the off season, that's essentially when I started tipping things on their head. Um, so uh, yeah, probably one of the key components around that is was our media deal. Um, there was a lot of feedback from categories in a lot of our high level categories uh, that you know was the TV production as good as it should be to attract um, high level customers. Um, was the TV coverage as professional as what it should be, um, and you know some 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 commitments that have been made around that that weren't delivered. So yeah, so we had to take that feedback on board, and and um, you know we, we spend a good chunk of money each year. Uh, we were spending a good chunk of money each year on, on TV for the AMRS, 
And, um, you know, BAC policy is that, is that if you're spending that sort of six-figure money that, that, you know, we need to make sure that we've got the right company uh, delivering the right product for the right price and was the price we were paying for the product we were receiving the right, the right answer. And my opinion was the answer is no. So we went to market and um, going to market for uh, the <clears throat> for the media deal uh, in the off season, which was all over the Christmas New Year period, was um, was yeah. We, we went to market, started talking to people, and and um, yeah, we we uh, there's there's a, there's a it was, that was a bit of a bumpy road in itself, um, but um, we were able to secure um, our now supplier, which is AVE. And um, and they have a lot, a lot of history going back 20, 30 years. Um, Greg Cedar is doing V8 supercars and, um, uh, you know, a lot of um, high-level race meetings, both motorsport and then non, non-motoring stuff. They do the, the um, surf, what is it, the Sydney to surf, I think they do as well. And there's a lot of very high-level um, events that they do. Um, in, by absolute chance, they were involved in the back end with um, some of the MotoGP stuff that I was doing with, with AGPC, can you believe as well? So, um, yeah, so um, new media deal, which, which was exciting and very exciting to, to get that off, off, the, off the ground as well. Um, some new categories to start off the year with. Um, and so uh, to pick up GT, so uh, the then management team of GT decided to get out uh, of being category managers. So we got on the front foot and became category managers for GT because, you know, there is a market there for that sort of next level, that next tiered series of GT racing that they don't want to be at the rock star level of Australian GT um, paying highly, highly expensive um, entry fees and, uh, and that kind of stuff. There's, there's a market there for it. So we've taken that on. So it's been another challenge to, to, to get off the ground Um and obviously getting the, your calendar right and getting it spaced out sort of uh, that you don't have, you know, rounds that are back-to-back, you know, a week apart. If someone blows an engine or has a crash or something, then they want an opportunity to be able to fix their cars. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, we, we're at a position at the start of the year where we had every round basically full of, of, of categories that wanted to come and a new media deal and um, a couple of new staff and, you know, it's a nice bright shiny new uniforms. I mean, you know, if there was a way to kick off the, to, to kick off the, the series, it, it was we were kicking off on the right foot and we got to Winton and, and obviously you were there, Lockie, uh, as, um, as the head of, our, um, the head of our media team that, uh, you know, a new media deal, great weather, um, um, you know, TA2 coming on board um, for our series as well. Uh, you know, we, we kicked off Winton and, and with a really, really good positive start um, and um, a really successfully delivered uh, round, which, you know, we could only build on and build on as we go out through the year. Uh, and then what was it two weeks after that, three weeks after that, um, the whole COVID thing came online uh well it was online but but it was uh but it wasn't as serious as what it was as it got into early march and then um we were very keen to deliver morgan park which was our round two uh which was for the uh, first weekend in april and with the restrictions of 500 people we sort of thought we could make it work and you know we booked our flights booked our accommodation we'd, we'd, we'd done everything we needed to do but um when um federal government implemented the uh you know border controls and um, 
you know, no non-essential travel and, and all those sort of things. It just, you know, it became very, very difficult to be able to deliver an event where you've got a lot of teams coming from interstate making the trek up to, up to Queensland and um, they probably wouldn't have been allowed through the borders. So it would have been a bit of a challenge for us to run a meeting. So, yeah, so we had to put the uh, season into suspension, unfortunately, uh, until, um, until we can get some, some direction from, um, from government. So, yeah. Looking at the bigger picture here, so when you look at the AMRS and where it fits into the overall landscape of motorsport in Australia, it's not as expensive to run at AMRS events as it is at somewhere like the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships or as a supercar support category. But at the same time, you're still able to get a level of exposure and coverage, particularly now with the new media deal, that makes AMRS rounds very much a step up from state-level motorsport categories. Coming out of the COVID-19 pandemic, we know that the economy's heading into a pretty tough time, let's be honest. People's budgets are not going to be... Spending money on motorsport, whether it be competing in it or sponsoring it, is not going to be a priority for a lot of people. That's That's the reality of the situation that we're in. But... Does this present an opportunity as the most affordable level of national motorsport in Australia to pick up some of the competitors who now can't afford to run in the higher level, national level categories? Most definitely, definitely does. And that's why, I mean, I think we've got a good broad range of categories uh, which which attend even even when when I run the series, again, between um, GT, TA2, um, you know, production cars, um, you know, uh, there, there's um, all that sort of level of motorsport which, which covers, you know, um, there is series which run with, say, the, the, the Shannon's Nationals or, um, you know, support supercars and, and they pay very um, high-level uh, entry fees, um, don't get a lot of track time for that entry fee. But in the past, have just wanted to be, you know, want to be rock star and support supercars, or wanted to be, you know, in front of the cameras or whatever it may be. Well, we can now deliver more track time um, for less money and deliver a very high quality TV product. And so, from my perspective, there's no real reason why they they can't be coming along to. Um, uh, you know, an AMRS round in support of one of the one of the, the categories that, that that come along there um, to be able to um, you know s- support the series um, and because and we will we, deliver the track time that that you know we, we promise we're going to deliver. You know, obviously things like crashes and all downs and things like that are, are, are a thorn in your side. But I mean, it's not it's it's not about from my perspective and people are probably sick of me saying it. It's about us delivering bang for buck. And, um, you know, it's very much a, everything's time certain if you, uh, you, you're essentially buying the track time for with AMRS. And if you want 160 minutes of track time for the seat or for your weekend, that's what we'll absolutely do our best to deliver to you. And how that's broken up, I, I really don't mind. If it's, you know, an hour here, an hour there, if it's five, 20 minute blocks, I, I don't really mind how we do it. Um, it. It's, we will do our absolute best to deliver you your promised track time. Um, and hopefully have some fun along the way. So thinking a bit longer term, looking three or five years down the track, what are you aiming to achieve with the AMRS? Yeah, look, I think, you know, I, I come back to, to, to the original point, is it, it's, it's value, a national series, which is value add for the, the competitor. 
um, ultimately, you know, you don't need to travel in a national series paying absorbent um, entry fees and 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 um, uh, and the like to be able to compete in in, in, in tracks interstate, as an example. Um, I believe that we deliver a um, a national series that you know we, we we cover our costs. You know, does the BAC make a lot of money out of it? No, they don't. But you know, uh, we cover our costs most of the time. Um, we've got a lot better in 2000, the latter part of 2019, and now into 2020 with better financial management um, of obviously operational budgets for the events um, and um, commitments from categories that, that uh, we know are coming along that, that are going to be able to deliver the numbers that, that we need as well is the other critical part. Um, it's one thing to have a full field of, of categories which are coming, but if those categories bring you five cars, then it's a difficult conversation. If the category brings 20 cars, it's a far better conversation because um, it, 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 it's based on the entries. So, yeah, look, you know, you'd like to see the series if you want to talk a three and, and for that matter, a five-year plan, but particularly a three-year plan, you'd like to see the series, you know, grow in leaps and bounds. You'd like to see some commercial partnerships come on board, which we're, we're slowly sort of getting um, getting a taste of at the moment in the, in, in current year. Um, some commercial partnerships from, you know, be it tyre suppliers or, or oil suppliers and those sort of things which will... Which can um, which can contribute um, financially for some naming rights again because we because we've got the good media deal we can we can um, put some far better signage out on on the track and people get a lot more bang for buck from a sponsorship arrangement so yeah there's it's 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 a slow process but but I mean and it's you know talking to the right people at the right time and but yes you're right it it is interesting times ahead of us of what what the back end of COVID nineteen will be for the series. Um, and how much money people have got to spend, really? And honestly, time is going to be what's going to tell that. Um, you yep, won't know. Yep. You won't know until we can open the door again. Yeah, again, that's the reality that we're all faced with. But uh, that's been some fantastic insight. So, thank you very much for that. The final segment on the Checkered Flag Chat Podcast is something that I call Checkered Flag Choices. Now, what this is is it's basically speed dating by a fancy name, but. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you five questions and uh, you have to answer these five questions as succinctly as you can and uh, feel free to give us some humorous answers if you're that way inclined as well. So first of all, Matt, uh, what would be your favourite holiday destination? Uh, USA. Who are three people that you would invite to dinner? Lockie Mansell. Oh, thank you. Uh, Chris. <laughs> Three people that I invite to dinner. Oh, I know. I reckon Mark Burris. Mark yep. Burris. Because to me, he's a very smart man and it just doesn't take crap and just speaks it as it is. And I love that about him. Yep. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe Chris Lewis Williams. You know, be the right thing to say right about now. Um you know, people, people, probably people that are, you know, a little bit inspirational to me. You know, I, I follow Mark Burris. Um, I follow people like, you know, um, uh, Janine, you know, Boost Juice Janine, that kind of stuff as well. Like just, um, you know, like people that are inspirational and, and have great business minds uh, about about how they go through business, I reckon it would be I would, I would invite. Uh, I reckon the new... The latest Aston Martin looks pretty good, I reckon. Um, 
in saying that, I'm a bit partial to the big, big fat um, uh, Chevy pickups that you see running around the place. Like, um, what are they? The Silverado, the, the Silverado, the big yep. fat one with the flare guards and the fat wheels and all those type of things. Awesome I tow could car. So car. see you in one of those <laughs> as well. I could, so, I could so see me in one of those too. But yeah, to tie up over a hundred grand is, is in, in, a, in, a, in a tow car is an interesting thing. But yeah, um, I've, I've said to Rachel, I think she'd look good driving that as a mummy car. But yeah, she, she didn't think that she'd be able to park it at the shopping center anyway. But uh, I don't know. That does that matter? Um, but um, you don't yeah. need to park it at the shopping centre because everybody else gets out of your way when you're driving one of those. Oh, I reckon. I reckon. I reckon. If I if I had if I had unlimited money to spend on one, I reckon one of those. Yeah, you know, uh, big uh, Silverado. You know, thing with a big fat motor in it. Proper car. I reckon. <laughs> uh, uh, best advice that you've been given about motorsport. Um. Yeah. Look. I think that there's probably two things. Um, one is relationship, relationship building, and maintenance is probably maintenance and building of relationships in motorsport is probably one of the key things that I would say. If someone said to me, "What have you learned how to motorsport, particularly in the last few years, which which you would take to the grave?" I think that would be a key part. Um, you know, and I've always been. I must say, I've always, and that probably comes from the real estate days. I think as well. I've always been pretty good on maintaining relationships and generating relationships and, and, and picking up the phone and having a, having a difficult discussion if I need to. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, cre- creating a, creating those relationships and maintaining them is, is, is a critical part. Yeah. And last question, the motorsport identity that you respect the most? Uh... Oh, it's got to be Lockie Mansell, doesn't it? Uh, the, um, <laughs> are you a motorsport identity, Lockie? I think you are, aren't you? <laughs> oh, in my own household, uh, maybe. That's uh, uh, right, yeah. Um, oh, look, I think um, probably one of the high-level... I think uh, Lounsey I admire. Craig Lowndes I admire. Um yeah, uh, whether his role in media full-time is long-term for him, I guess is a different thing. But, but um, yeah, he's he's achieved a lot. And um, particularly back in his days, you know, HRT days with Brocky and things like that. And uh, Brocky was very much his mentor. Um, yeah, I think if I had to, you know, people like that, um, yeah, that's a difficult one, actually. You, you, you've thrown a bit of a curveball at me there without without notice, but uh, I think probably Lounsey, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I think, yeah. There's probably a few other people, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right, well, very good. Thank you again for your insight. It's uh, You've given us some really detailed behind-the-scenes knowledge about multiple aspects of motorsport that a lot of people may not be aware of or appreciate so uh, we do very much uh thank you for your time on the check and flag chat podcast yeah, no worries at all Lockie. thanks so much for the opportunity um there's there's not many out there that, that have known, known a lot of my background um so it's good to good to open those doors a bit i think as well um and and congratulations to you on on putting the podcast together i, I think it's, it's a great initiative and um, we look forward to uh, hearing the finished product a big thank you to Matt Barraglanth for his time on Checkered Flag Chat. He certainly provided some interesting background on some of the lesser known aspects of the motorsport industry. 
Stay tuned to our channels for more episodes in the weeks ahead. Until then, I'm Rocky Mansell. See you next time.